Learning Greek, Hebrew, things like that, that, oh man, you talk about anxiety. Right? I can remember very well being in a, a Greek uh, class in, in grad school, and uh, I, I developed a twitch in this eye. And every once in a while, I'm even, even my mom commented on it that she saw this eye doing something weird, and I told her it's stress-related. It's, it's anxiety-related. I, I, I had never felt so much anxiety than in about 2003 in this Greek class when I was looking at failure. And I kept thinking to myself, God, why are you making me do this? Why do I have to suffer through Koine Greek with Carol Osborne, which was just so painful? Luckily, I didn't fail. He passed me, even though I technically did fail. He gave me a passing grade because he knew I worked so hard. But it gets me kind of thinking a lot about this world we live in and anxiety, a couple years later, as I was working on that counseling degree, I took this class with this, this guy named Randy Harris. Some of you may have heard of him. And, and in this class, it was called Integration of Psychology and Theology. And, and I want to pause and just kind of give you some thoughts here. There is only one truth, and that is God. That is the only, the only truth. Now hear me say that. I don't know truth. You don't know truth. Nobody knows truth truth. God is the only truth. You can't fully know God, so you can't fully know truth. People can say there's facts. They can say there's truth. They can say there's all. There's only God. And as Christians, we don't profess to know all the truth. We don't profess to know everything there is to know about God, about this world, about everything. We profess to know someone who does, and that's God. And that is a distinction that I just want to make sure you understand. And so in my ivory tower pursuits of knowledge and wisdom, I stumble into this class called Integration of Psychology and Theology, Integration of Science and the Bible, Integration of Christianity and the way the world thinks. And I'm, I begin to think, there is no integration that needs to happen. There's just simply God's ways or no ways or dead ways. And boy... Was I wrong? You see, humanity, we, I, you, everybody, we all have problems. And we all have a problem. And, well, our, our problem is, and I've, I've mentioned this before, is that we've forgotten that we're created. We've forgotten that we were created by the alpha, the omega, the, the thing that is outside of everything. We've forgotten what it even means to be human. And, and, and when we're born, we, 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 we feel like we're born with this natural, this, this nature about us. And, that, and whatever is natural, whatever is part of our nature should be, should be okay. It should be, it should be fine. Well, the problem is, is that, and, and you all know this, is that we are people that become very insecure about whatever it is we're working on, anxious about whatever it is we're working on, depressed. We become sad. We become hurt. We, be, we, we begin to wonder. We begin to, to seek for validation. Human beings seem to have a problem. And, and as we look out into the world, what we find is, is that the, the prevailing solution to all of our problems is knowledge. 
It's science. It's more understanding. It's, it's, it's more reading. It's more research. It's more, it's, it's more. It's more. It's more. If one day we will just know enough information that we will be able to solve our own problems, that pursuit of knowledge, that pursuit of gaining more understanding ultimately leads to the very thing that destroys us. Sin. You see, last week... I brought up the the concept, this idea that that God created us heaven and earth. He he created humans, and he created us special. He created us different. And what we find in the text is that that is true. But there's also another lesser truth in there. And I want to read with you something here that you're going to find in Genesis It's going to be in chapter 2 this morning is where we're going to start. And I want to remind you the context of this, all right? The believed context of this passage is when Israel is coming out of Egypt. They've been in captivity for 400 years. They don't know who they are. God is redeeming them. He is bringing them out of their slavery to the Egyptians and bringing them into him uh, where they're going to find life, ultimately where they're going to uh, paradise, where they're going to the land, the promised land that God has created for them alongside God. And God is instructing them. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 2. He says, hey guys, let me explain to you how you were formed. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of of life. And the man became a living being. Now, when you dive into that text, what you find out is living being is a phrase, and I want you to say this with me. It'll be on the screen for you. Nefesh kaya. Say it with me. Nefesh kaya. Good. It's kind of hard to say. Nefesh kaya. Living being. And Our translators sometimes mess this up a little bit. It depends on what version you're reading. You may get a little bit, but a living creature, a living being, it's actually the same exact stuff used to describe, the same word used to describe all the animals. Now, the plants are a little different, but all the animals are living beings. Chapter 2, verse 19. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground... All of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. It's the same words. We come from the dust of the ground. The animals and the birds come from the dust of the ground. What does this mean? We're animals. We are, in fact, animals. We are made from the same stuff they're made from. We have the same problems that the animals have. We are finite. We we will die. We have to continue to eat in order to stay alive. We, 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 we worry about things like protection and, and, and we have these fears that we deal with. Um, we, we have a lot of things in common with animals. But we're also different. We have a, another side to us. We have, we, have our, we have our flesh side, our animal side. But then we got to keep reading to get the whole picture that God is painting for us. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, 27 through 28. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, 
So that, now I want to be very particular on some words here in just a second. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and over the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Both male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the whole earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God stamps his imago Dei, as we say kind of historically in Christianity, the image of God. Say with me, imago Dei, imago Dei, image of God onto us so that. Now, in some translations, it might not have that so that. It is there. If you could read Aramaic or Hebrew or Sanskrit or or any of the older translations, you're going to find that this is in there. Let us make mankind in our image and likeness so that he, they may rule in us. We have this flesh, this finite being that will die. It can't be stopped. Our our finite ability, and you're going, Bobo in the garden, Death didn't happen until sin happened. Well, in the garden was the tree of life. And as we'll read through in Genesis 3 in just a moment, what we're going to discover is that God removes us from the tree of life. And I think our eternal being had more to do with being able to eat from that tree in the garden than our nature. We are finite. We are not infinite like God. We are animal. We are nefesh kaya. And we are imago Dei. We are the image of God. We are very, very different. We were designed to rule. We were also designed to be ruled. In the text, he commands humanity. God rules us, and we are given authority to rule his creation. We are rational We have this ability that's innate that cannot be found in other animals that we don't have any way of detecting in any other species out there of rationale. We are creative in ways that are like God and unlike anything else. We have linguistic abilities that allow us to pass on information from generation to generation that no animal can come close to. And we have one other gift or curse, depending upon how you want to frame it. We have the ability to be self-reflective. We have the ability to look at ourselves internally within our mind's eye and begin to pick apart what we've done, what we might do. We can think in years and months and weeks and days unlike anything else can do brings us to sin. You see, no sooner than God creates it and, see, and, and, and it is good, and he puts humans in charge of running it, then does our humanity begin to come out. Our, our tension that lies between our animal self and our image of God's stampness, this, this place where we sit, begins to come out. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read through a lot of text here, folks. You might want to highlight some things in your Bible if you have one at home. And if you don't, 
just make sure you come back because we're going to kind of munch through a lot. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. So next to us, thank you, God, is the snake. If I hear you correctly, it's us and then the snake and then everything else that's been created, right? That's why I hate snakes. He said to the woman, this is a snake, by the way, talking. Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, You will not certainly die, the snake says. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Wait, time out. God has already told Israel they were like him. He's in the garden, we know from the story, walking around with Adam and Eve. You've got God, and you've got Adam and Eve. And, and Adam, according to what we've read in chapter 2, is charged with naming things. He's charged with ruling over things. His wife is right there alongside him to help out. Eve, this woman, is paired with him, and they are supposed to be doing this job. And they, everything is great. Everything is, is balanced. There doesn't seem to be any anxiety. There's no death. There's no frustration. There's no, there's no nothing. They're, they're supposed to just eat the vegetables that have been provided for them as sustenance. They can eat from the tree of life and live alongside God. Things seem to be great, but this serpent comes in, this idea comes in, this, this mindset comes in and says this, you're not quite enough like God. And when the woman saw the fruit, verse six, of the tree was good food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, I know people like to divide this up. Women sinned first before. The They're one, folks. Women aren't worse than men. Men aren't better than women. We're going to talk about sin in just a minute because you're not better than the other, nor are you worse than the other. They both wanted to be more like God. And they got a chance to be more like God. And it all went south real quick. The very first thing they notice is that they're naked. So they grab some leaves, they sew those things together, they make coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking to the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I can't even imagine. I mean, my kids, your kids, I've seen them do this, kids that I've taught in class, when they know they've done something wrong, like that internally they know something's wrong, they try to hide, right? Very first thing everyone tries to do when they've made a mistake the intuition, the, the instinct, the natural thing we all want to do is hide it, cover it up, make it like it didn't happen. So they're hiding, and God's walking through the garden like a good parent, hanging out with his kids. He's giving them a job to do, but he didn't leave them alone to do it by themselves. He's working alongside of them. He's with them. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Hey, where are you? And man answered, 
I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because he ate out of the tree? No. He's afraid because he was caught naked. So he hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, it was the woman. But yes, I did eat it. And the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And she says, it was the serpent. But yes, I did eat it. And as we read through the text, we see that the first sacrifice happens right after that. We have to, death is present now. Because now there's skins being sewn together to cover up the man and the woman. No longer is the way they were created that God said was good, good. They have now decided that where God placed them between their flesh and his image was not good enough for them. They could not be content. They were tempted out of it. And when they made that small step over into God-only world, when they committed that first sin, which is pride, they lost it all. Anxiety entered into the world. Pain enters into the world. Suffering enters into the world. And this word that we throw around in Christianity called sin. You know, when you read through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you discover there's give or take 125 different sins that are named, that are mentioned. But we rarely stop to reflect on what exactly sin is. What is sin really about? And what I want to argue is what Randy Harris argued with me in that class 14 years ago as I'm looking at theology and science. And what he's telling me is, is that we've got this nefesh kaya and this imago day. And what it means to sin is to say, you know what? I don't want to be the and. I don't want to have the nefesh kaya and the imago day. I just want to be something other than human. Sin is not just a rejection of God. It's a rejection of humanity. Sin is when we reject ourselves as God created us in our goodness is to say, I'm not enough. You ever said I'm not enough? As though God created you broken? As though God created you and gave you a task that you couldn't do with him? Sin is to step out of that humanity. And the sin that we talk about the most, the types that get mentioned in churches, the types that fill churches up with people or that should fill churches up with people are sins that, that are happening over here on this animal side of us, the sins of, you know, lust. I want to have sex with whatever I want to have sex with, whoever, whatever. I just want to feel good because I don't like being here in this tension. I just want to feel good. I want to eat whatever I want to eat, gluttony. I just want to do nothing. World's getting full of slothness. I want to be drunk. Paul talks about these. You see these mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6 through 9. Do not the wrongdoers. Know, know this, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, those who do all sorts of heinous things will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, on the one side, when we reject our imago day, when we reject the fact that we're different than the animals and we just try to be an animal, 
I'm just gonna die someday. What does it matter? I should just have fun. Well, we know that doesn't work. We see on this side a lot of addiction. We see on this side a lot of pain and suffering. We see on this side a lot of people lost to the constant pursuit of happiness. And they cannot find it. The second type of sin, the one that we don't talk about a whole lot, the one that, oh, I don't know, gets said to me at least once a week, the one that you're mostly all in right now, is the one where we say, you know what, I'm not an animal, I'm God. I'm, I'm, I am full of the Spirit, I am the Spirit. I am God. It is my way or the highway. You don't like it, go somewhere else. You want something different? You can't control me. I've got a gun. I've got knowledge. I've got everything I need to be as independent as I can because I don't need God. I am God. I'm in control of my own destiny. It's the very worst sin to have. It's the one that God says in the Bible that he hates the most. It's the one that caused Eve, that tempted Eve. I don't want to be alongside God where God rules me and I rule others and I sit here in a tension that's difficult, but God's with me. Be God. What do we see over here? We see suicide out the wazoo. We see addiction. We see people's pursuit of knowledge as though knowledge is actually going to save them. We see the kind of pride that says, you know what, humanity, there would never was a God. There's only ever been human. We're at the top. It's our responsibility to fix everything that's broken in this world. Quite frankly, it is because we broke it. It's overwhelming. It causes anxiety inside that we can't fill. It causes pain and suffering. When we look out and we see hurting and we want to fix it and, and we turn to this pursuit of knowledge like Eve like turned to the pursuit of knowledge, like Israel turned to the pursuit of knowledge, like, like we've done with medicine and everything else, trying to fix our own problems. Not, not so that we can be content in this tension, but so that we can relieve this tension by becoming God. Jesus tells a story in the New Testament. It's one of the prodigal son. I love that story. You got this son. It's all in Luke chapter 15 if you want to go read it. This son who looks at his dad, this, and, and, and it's interesting how he forms it because it's the same way sin kind of forms here, right? You got the firstborn son. You don't know anything about him yet. All you got is the secondborn, right? And we focus on the story of the secondborn the entire time. And the secondborn takes his dad's money, in many ways steals his dad's money, goes off, does whatever he wants to do to make himself feel good, blows all the money because he doesn't want to work, he's sloth, he eats whatever he wants to eat, gluttonous, he does the debauchery, he's having sex with whatever he wants to have sex with. And where does that end him up? It ends him up in the pig pens. Now on the flip side, you got all high and mighty son, firstborn son acting like he has never done anything wrong and what you discover at the end of that text is that this firstborn son won't even come to the party God's throwing 
because he's so put off by all the evil he sees. Let me get my angles right here. He's put off by the evils he sees on the flesh side that he can't imagine that this God over here would party with this one who had so much sin. And he says, "Mm, I'm just going to go be my own God. You didn't give me anything. I stayed in the tension. Now I'm not even going to join you. I'm going to reject you. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to stay outside of the party. At least the younger son, at least the one over here in the animal world saying, it doesn't matter, I just want to feel good, is going, this ain't right. I need God. I need the Spirit. And he heads back home, and he's greeted by the Spirit, and now he sits with his father celebrating his redemption while his older, prideful, jerk brother, firstborn controller of all brother, is angry. Our problems aren't going to be solved by knowledge. They're not. And the reason they're not is because we're incapable of knowing the knowledge that God can know. We weren't designed for that. We were designed to be with God, doing our job that he created us to do. That's what our design was. And when we reject him and say, I don't need you anymore, we fall flat on our face, right? And what we learn from Jesus, when Jesus steps into the picture and says, hey, guys, yeah, there was this Adam and God created him and and he created Eve. and, And together they did well for a while in the garden with God, walking and talking and doing what God had asked them to do. But then they rejected God. I'm not going to reject God. I am going to bring about a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. Come with me. Well, Jesus, that's a hard life. He goes, yeah, yeah, it is a hard life. You see, being a Christian, learning to be content in all things. And to be content, to, be, to stand in between this animal nature and this, this knowledge, this spirit, this, this, this ability to be rational and creative and, 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 to, and to communicate and to self-reflect, to, to stay here is so difficult. In fact, it can't be done without God. And Jesus says that. God's got to be here in your life. And if God's here in your life and the world's here and you stay here doing what God's asked you to do, you know what happens? Hard things. Because Christians do hard things. I told my sons this, Tyson and Jace. I tell them this a lot. When they start whining and crying because it's difficult, because it's hot, because there's a lot, a lot of homework, a lot of yard work, a lot of whatever. I say this to the teens that I work with, to the Caleb Pollys of this world, to the Jace Hutchersons of the world, to uh, go on down the list, to all the girls. Christianity is hard. It requires us to do hard things. Because Christianity is the closest thing we got to the good creation we were designed for. Christianity is the way that we follow God, that we keep God's spirit here, our animalistic nature here, and we realize we can't do it without him. I'll tell you what this means for all of you guys out there watching this. 
Because guess what? You're the only ones that can understand me are human. Some of you don't realize your own humanity. Some of you have no clue what it really means to be human. You just think you were born that way and that's what you are. You're not. Unless you are in between God and the world, unless you recognize that you have a God part of you, an imago day, and an animal part of you, a nephesh kaya, you recognize you're finite, you're going to die. You can't stop your death. Newsflash, we haven't ever figured it out. Newsflash, I'm betting we won't. The only way to pass back into the tree of life, into the river of life, into the kingdom of heaven is through death. It's the only way we get there. And through Jesus. And until you realize those things, you can't even be human. You're just going to be anxious. You're going to be worried. You're going to be self-seeking. You're not going to be the things that you heard the kids sing about earlier. Because when you really look at that text in Galatians 5, love is joy. It is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you really look at those words, what you find is love is content. And it's in that contentment in Christ that you find that peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For those of you who don't know that peace, you're invited to come know that peace. For those of you out there who are ticked off at the world, grow up. The world's broken. It's going to do stupid stuff. The government's not going to fix it. Your neighbor down the street's not going to fix it. Facebook is not going to have the right answers for you. I'm sorry. It ain't there. It's a broken world. It's full of a bunch of people over here that want to do what they want, that you get angry about. Why are they out there partying on the beaches? Why are they? They're going to. They're here. And then you got those people on the other side of the world that says, you know what, I'm God. You're not going to control me. I'm going to control everything. It's my will or I'll shoot you. We gotta stay here. We gotta be non-anxious. We gotta recognize our anxiety and not try to relieve it by going one way or the other, but by finding it in Christ. And it's a beautiful thing to find in Christ, but it can come through doing hard things. If you need God, you need Jesus, you don't understand any of it, give us a call. Respond on Facebook. Ask for your prayer requests. You need to be baptized. You need to understand what it's like to be dead in Christ, to be raised up again, to really be the human you were created to be, to really be that and, to sit in between that flesh creation and that imago day. Reach out to us. Shoot an email. Give a call. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for calling us to love you, to love others, Father. Father God, thank you for walking with us when it's difficult. Thank you for going alongside of us when we're anxious. Father God, we pray that in our anxiety we won't seek sin out as a solution. We won't look to sin to make us feel better so we can be outside of our own anxiety for a moment and thereby reject our humanity, Father. Help us to be that and you've called us to be. Help us to be the humans you've called us to be. Father, help us to love the creation that you created and to love you. And Father, to have that peace that passes all understanding inside of that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.